The Planet Football Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. Enter promo code PLANET at FANDUEL.com for a bonus match of up to $200. We're also sponsored by the SeatGeek app, the easiest way to find a great deal, pay for your ticket, and get to your seat. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our code PLANET for $20 off your first tickets. Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com's Brian Strauss. Both of you guys are out in sunny California. Thanks for waking up early. Great to be here, man. Uh, I'm here in downtown LA. Uh, Brian is down in Irvine, which if you don't know California geography, is quite a ways from here where the US team is training. It's basically New Mexico. <laughs> well, well, at some point, you guys are, are both going to converge on Pasadena and the Rose Bowl. Uh, if you couldn't guess, we are not going to talk about the nuances of the offside rule today. We're going to save that conversation for another day. We're going all in on USA-Mexico. Uh, huge game coming up this weekend. We're taping this on a Thursday. The game is taking place Saturday night. We'll also have an interview with U.S. men's national team forward Josie Altador. Grant and Brian, you're going to have the chance to talk to him, and we'll have that a little bit later in the show. Um, but before we get into all of that, I want to start with today's big news, and that is coming out of FIFA, where Sepp Blatter and Michelle Platini have both been suspended for 90 days. Uh, for me, not the look, it's it's a big deal, but the fact of the matter is Sepp Blatter's a lame duck. He's gone in February anyway. The bigger thing for me is Platini now uh, having his name in the mud and how that impacts things going forward. Grant, uh, first with you, what's your reaction to the latest? Well, suddenly Michelle Platini has gone from being the favorite by far to replace that bladder in February as FIFA president to not being the favorite anymore. Uh, when you're suspended for ethics uh, reasons by FIFA, uh, that's not a good sign for your candidacy, you could say. Uh, though I still wouldn't rule him out. This is FIFA, after all. Um, but I do think this is probably very good news for Prince Ali bin al-Hussein uh, from Jordan, who is the guy who lost to Sepp Blatter in the election that took place in May, uh, got 70 votes, uh, was supported and nominated by the U.S., uh, and in, does say a lot about reforming FIFA. He, he has a, a better record than most. He has not been charged with ethics violations. Uh, he does come from uh, Jordan. He's part of the royal family there, and uh, it's not exactly a democracy in Jordan, so that's a bit of a strike against him, but... He's also done a lot for, for women's soccer, girls playing soccer in greater numbers in the Middle East. And uh, at this point, if you're going to have somebody from inside FIFA be FIFA president, he's probably the best of the lot. Brian, uh, does Sepp Blatter being suspended, does that shock you at this point? I mean, I feel like the the big bombshell has has already happened. This Maybe maybe I should be reacting with a little more enthusiasm about it, but I, I just, it just, it just seemed kind of inevitable at this point. Yeah, I'll I'll still believe he's gone when they 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 pry him from his desk at the Zurich headquarters and send him packing in sort of one of those Hannibal Lecter straitjackets. <laughs> um, you know, I, I it's it's I'm more skeptical. I I don't see much in the way of long term reform happening here as long as FIFA is being asked to have oversight of FIFA and you still have the one country one vote. You still have the whole mechanism and the, and the whole electorate that put bladder. Uh, over Ali in the first place, and and they're going to vote for a candidate who uh, keeps the money coming and who promises not to uh, engage in any oversight of their activities, and that's how Blatter uh, maintained his power. And I don't see why the demands of the FIFA electorate are going to change. Well said. At the end of the day, this is just ninety fewer days that he has an office. I think he only really had like one twenty left anyway, kind of right. We're about four months out from that. 
I, I kind of halfway assumed he was going to run and win again anyway, or, <laughs> or just postpone the election in February, or or there'd be some sort of you know legislative machination that he would use to keep himself in power. I I just never have imagined in a million years that this guy was going to relinquish power uh, voluntarily. People like Blatter don't do that. I do think it's important to note here that while Blatter has been a lame duck, this is the end of an era. He's been FIFA president for seventeen years. Um, you know, he's been involved in FIFA for much longer than that. Uh, I think the big things to watch right now are pressure coming now from the International Olympic Committee, whose president comes out and says that FIFA, to really clean up, needs a leader, a new leader, completely from the outside. Um, now, the IOC doesn't have a great record itself, by the way, but at least they did reform a bit after the Salt Lake City scandal. And if there's any way for that to happen, let's see what kind of momentum might build or might not build. Um, because FIFA changed the rules themselves after I ran for FIFA president in 2011 uh, to prevent outsider candidates from running for FIFA president. You literally need to have been involved in soccer for two of the previous five years as a player or an executive inside the FIFA. In other words, be part of the system. Um, and that's something that really needs to change because the culture is rotten and getting someone from inside FIFA just doesn't suggest that they're really going to change. So we'll see if this ends up happening, uh, if there's pressure uh, for a real outsider to take over at FIFA. And, um, you know, obviously I hope that happens, but given the track record, uh, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, well, definitely in for a uh, an interesting few months ahead um, and potentially some big changes, but we'll see. Um, like you guys said, plenty of reasons to be skeptical. Um, with that, we're going to take a first very quick break, and then when we come back, Brian and Grant, you guys are going to be joined by a pretty special guest, and that's U.S. men's national team forward Josie Altidore. With the MLS playoffs about to get started, make this the year you go support your club in person. And when you're looking for a great deal on tickets, use the SeatGeek app. Now they're giving our listeners $20 when they use the code PLANET. That's right, a $20 check with your name on it and there's no catch. Now here's how it works. You download the SeatGeek app on your iPhone or Android. It's free and takes less than a minute to download. Then you search for your event, find the deal you want, and enter our code PLANET. When you complete your purchase, SeatGeek will send you a $20 check to your house. It's that easy. Even if you pick a seat that's less than $20, they'll still send you the full check. That means SeatGeek is paying you to use their service. Everyone in the SI offices is loving the SeatGeek app, and here's why. SeatGeek pulls in ticket options from hundreds of sellers online and shows you the best deals automatically. They also have this cool feature called Deal Score. It ranks every ticket on the market with a value score and plots the best deals on a color-coded map of the venue. Finally, SeatGeek's mobile app makes the ticket buying process seamless, easy, and safe. You can store your credit card, and once you find a ticket you want to buy, you can make the purchase with two quick taps of your phone. So, to redeem your promo code and get your $20 check, download the free SeatGeek app today, enter promo code PLANET in the app, and SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. If you want to go see the MLS playoffs, the NFL, or playoff baseball, use the SeatGeek app and enter our code PLANET to save $20. MLS isn't the only league in crunch time. Major League Baseball's playoffs are underway, and SI has the perfect baseball show to keep you up to date. Every week on The Strike Zone, SI Baseball's dynamic duo, Ted Keith and Stephen Canella, take you inside the numbers of America's pastime. Search for The Strike Zone podcast on iTunes, or find it at si.com slash podcasts. Got a very special guest here today. Josie Altador has joined us at the nicest place I have ever been associated with the U.S. national team. We'll call it an undisclosed location. I like that. Uh, and uh, with a view of the ocean, uh, I might stay here forever. Uh, thanks for joining us, Josie. Thanks for having me, man. Happy to be here. Um, you know, big game, obviously. USA-Mexico. Got a trophy on the line. A spot in the Confederations Cup. It's your arch rival. There's a ton of buzz around this game. Have you ever experienced this much buzz around a USA-Mexico game? Or even, 
any game that you participate in with a national team outside of a World Cup or Confederations Cup? Um, I think it's probably a little bit comparable to the 2011 final. I thought that was a huge time, the huge buildup. So this one even more so because I think it's longer in between. So it's huge. I mean, it's huge for, for both teams, obviously, for both sets of fans. So it's an exciting game to play. It's a little bit of a, a different circumstance. Uh, it's like a final. Um, but it's not like a final you've had with the U.S. team before because you haven't been playing other tournament games to get to this point. How has it been maybe different day by day this week? What have you guys been doing that you don't normally do? Yeah, it's weird because it's, it's weird to prepare for in a way because, like you said, it's, 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 it has the buildup of a final, but at the end of the day, it's not a final. It's more of a playoff. and. We've just taken it in as any other fixture day, to be honest with you. Any other FIFA fixture day, been working on some things tactically and just trying to get ready for what we know is going to be a tough game. Hey, Josie, I'm just curious to sort of talk about you personally, and and you've had some hard luck uh, heading into big games. You got uh, hurt, I think, in the 2011 Gold Cup, hurt again at the World Cup, uh, hurt again in this Gold Cup. How frustrating is that? Is it, is, it, is it tantalizing and infuriating to sort of be so close and, and, and then not get to really participate and have an impact in these tournaments? And how excited are you now to, to be healthy and informed? No, it's tough. It's tough because, you know, I think people don't know exactly really how much I put into to being able to be a part of this team. And, you know, when you get injured, you miss these opportunities. It, it sucks, you know, because I, I love being here. I love trying to make myself available the national team even when I'm not healthy and even when I'm not feeling well knowing that at that point or at that moment maybe the options aren't so 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 many people so I know that I have to try and get healthier or try to be ready for the national team so I put a lot into to, to giving for this team so to miss those games to not be a part of those moments it sucks. Do you feel like uh, public or the fans the press is I don't know, lacked the patience uh, that they should have and, and the understanding that you've had to deal with these injuries. I mean, Jurgen talks all the time about wanting players to be under pressure and to sort of be in the crucible. It sometimes seemed like you face more of that than a lot of your teammates. Well, I'm not, I'm not one to, you know, talk about those things. I mean, I've, I've been the national since I was 18, and from that moment I've had people talk about me being the main striker, always making sure that I'm ready to play for the national whatever. You know, it's not always easy sometimes when you're going through stuff and knowing that you, know, you have to be the guy. But at the end of the day, I embrace it. I'm happy about it, and it's a dream come true for me. But at the end of the day, I am human. <laughs> One of the things I've noticed covering you in post-game press conferences, for, for whatever reason, more than any other U.S. player, yeah. you get asked about your confidence. And I've kind of learned not to do it because I see this exasperated look on your face when when that word comes up what what is it about that and why do you always get that question i don't know man it's, <laughs> it's it's hilarious but i mean you try to keep it cool right and answer the best you can and you know people love talking about my confidence man are, are you confident right now doing this podcast with us <laughs> We talking about confidence. Uh, I feel like giving people the AI sometimes. Right? Yes. Yes. We're talking about, about confidence. confidence. <laughs> not a game. Not the, not the action. Confidence. Oh man, it's funny. It is. Um, what it is. Let's say you're confident for the sake of argument, because then we don't have to ask you about it. Um, but you know, you've scored two goals in your last two games in Toronto. You're on a decent run of form. Um, think back to making the move to MLS and coming to Toronto and. and, and how did you get? How did you get to the point where you got comfortable in Toronto um, and, and and sort of found your form and found your touch again and found some rhythm after some injuries after a, a tough time at Sunderland? I mean, what have you done to get from there to here? First, I want I want people to know that I didn't just join MLS for money. People keep always saying that like you can look up my salaries or whatever from Sunderland, my past clubs. There's not a huge difference, like you know. No disrespect to the other players, but other players that joined. So it's not like I had this big dollar sign hanging over my head. And I had some great clubs, some historic, beautiful clubs in Europe. But just I couldn't look away from the opportunity at the time. People didn't know, but I knew to play with Javinko, to play with Michael, and to kind of take a team that was always, you know, so to speak, bad and bring them to the playoffs. So that was exciting for me and the, and the chance to live the problem of my life in, in, in a great city. And, and like I said, be, be at the forefront of an organization like Toronto was exciting for me. People talk a lot about USA Mexico. Do you actually know any guys on the Mexico team? <laughs> it's funny you say that. Um, 
I mean, nah. I've I've seen I've spoken to Chicharito a couple times just because we play in the Premier League, you know, in passing. Um, funny enough, I seen Carlos Vela in Miami. Um, I didn't really I didn't know if it was him, and I wasn't really sure. But looking back, I think it was him. I saw him in Miami one time, but. Andres Guardado, we shot a commercial shoot together. Yeah. We were both up and coming. Uh-huh. And we were cool. We were friendly at that. At that. So we've always been friendly because I think we both have those memories. But nah, man, I don't think I really have any boys that play for Mexico. Okay. Do you, not are, really. Are there if any I guys? do, my bad. I don't, I don't, remember, I don't, I don't recall <laughs> of any. So. Bulletin board material. You have been listening to this podcast. Uh, what, um, as far as players you respect, for Mexico, did any stand out guys you really appreciate just their game and the way they carry themselves? Um, I don't hate any of them. I'll, I'll just say that now. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't hate them. Obviously, we get on the field. We both both teams want to win, so that's that. Um, but respect, I respect obviously all of them as people, as men, as players. You know, that's what I was brought up. And I think Blanco's my is my guy, man. Blanco's, yeah. he's my guy. He was, he was just different. You know, the way he played the game, the way he thought. Celebration. <laughs> he was just—I don't know—something about him, man. He just—he was an exciting player, and he was. If I have to have a favorite Mexican player, it's it's Blanco. Back to the U.S. We're we're over four years into into Klinsman's tenure. Um, you've been on the team, like you said, since eighteen. There's been a lot of transition, a lot of different lineups, a lot of tactics, guys coming in and out. When this team is playing well, this team as it exists right now, what does that look like? What 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 does this team look like and feel like? when it's playing its best soccer? Um, for me, the best the best look at that would be, I think in those games leading up to the World Cup, I'm not saying that because I was in them, I'm just saying in general, when, when guys like Fabian Johnson was, you know, I think I'm playing at a different level because I think he just adds a different element. You look at those games, the Nigerias, the Turkey games, I thought that was, you know, we were playing some really good stuff. I, I think about the How would you describe game. the style? The uh, Panama game, too, in Seattle. Um, I would say proactive. I would okay. say aggressive. And I think we played some really good football at times. So those games stick out for me the most. I think those were the games where, soccer-wise, I think we were playing our best, in my opinion. You've played with Michael Bradley for so long. He's, he's obviously the, the, the linchpin of this team in so many ways. Um, his movement around the field and his evolving responsibilities have been a big story on this team. Where do you think he fits in best? I mean, where, how do you want to play alongside or in front of him? What are, what are the things that he does best and, and how can he most help the team where, where, you know, in terms of where he fits in on the field and what he's asked to do? Um, I think, you know, I, you know, me and Mike talk all the time about soccer, as you guys imagine. We're always talking about the game in different ways and, and this and that. And I love when he's in in, I, I think he can play many roles, which he's shown at a high level as well. He's shown that. And for me, I like him when he's kind of the link. So not the deep guy, but in between, and he's just controlling the play. And he's, he's, he's bringing us out of pressure. He's switching the point of attack. And I think that's when he's at another level. And going forward, when he gets the ball, he drives forward, he's able to, to get in different spots. I think that's when he, he helps propel our team. Does it help when he has two teammates in front of him on the field as opposed to one? You know, with Dempsey coming back yeah. in, it, you know, he'll likely have two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think hopefully that that will help him um, because, like I said, he, you know, Dempsey. I think Clint does that really well in terms of showing up in the pockets and being that deep run into the box. He always does that. He scores a lot of his goals that way. So that's just what he's accustomed to. And I think Michael being able to come from a little bit deeper and kind of, like I said, you know, dictate the play and. and tempo of the game I think he was he was made for that I think he's very good at that we've seen this trend of you and Michael and Clint coming back to MLS in the prime of your careers uh, we've now seen that with Giovanni Dos Santos the first sort of Mexican star coming in the prime of his career to MLS we might see that with Vela sooner rather really? than later from yeah. what I'm hearing uh, <laughs> there might everything. there might be where where are you going um <laughs> San Jose, maybe. Really? Uh, I want to see what happens in Chicago, actually, because if they hire like a Miguel Herrera, yeah, yeah, Mexican yeah, stars, him, that him. would help bring. And they know, like him. It seems like they really liked him a lot as well. But are we heading toward a situation where maybe the top American, U.S., and Mexican players might end up in MLS in their primes? I think we can be because I think the league's growing 
incredibly, like from the time I left to when I came back, when I see the growth, it's unbelievable. That's undeniable. But let's be honest, I mean, the challenge is, people think it's, it's not easy. The challenge is playing in MLS, I'll tell you what, you know, they're, they're, they're not as easy as people make it out to be. And there's a lot more on your shoulders, I think, as when you look at the individuals like Dos Santos, there will be a lot of on his shoulders compared to maybe when he's at another club where he plays a big part role. So I think you, you will start to see a change, and hopefully it's a change that helps propel the league. It's a different kind of pressure in MLS, but there is pressure, right? Absolutely. I mean, you guys, Absolutely. especially in, even you in Toronto, you, you come in as a big name to a club that's desperate for success, and, and people are looking to you to look, deliver. Look, at, at the end of the day, when, they, when they're putting this type of investment in teams and in players, they want something for it. They want to, something to show for it. So you know, there's no way you're going to be put in that situation and just be able to kind of lull your way through it. You have to, to try and help show something. Um, uh, Josie, uh, your confidence these days. How how is your confidence? How is your confidence? <laughs> we're, we're talking about your confidence here, Josie. I know, but I, I like I like flipping it because everybody loves talking about me. What about you? How's your confidence, Grant? Are you, you are you confident in saying what you just said? Are you confident by brushing your teeth this morning? <laughs> like, did you are you sure you got the right spots? Did you get your tongue? Did you get everywhere? I mean, I don't. Well, that's execution, not confidence. That's Jason. confidence. I mean, you got to make sure that the toothbrush is in the right angle so you get the right places. So is all the time you spend working on your touch and your technique and your shot, were you just wasting that time because your confidence is poor? You're not scoring because your confidence is low. Trying to be a smart aleck? <laughs> I'm confident right now. Is that what this that's is? what this has happened. This is what's happening right confident. now is you're, you're feeling you're not, my confidence. You're not confident. You, you, I don't want to say what you are right now. I'm trying to keep PG-13, <laughs> but you're not, that's not confidence. Just letting you know. I think uh, this interview just ended. Josie just left. We're going to get thrown out of this resort. So, how's your fantasy football team doing? If that question inspires shame and self-loathing, have no fear. You don't need to stick with your bad fantasy team or injured players for another day. You can start totally fresh with FanDuel and do it with up to $200 in bonus cash when you use our code PLANET. FanDuel is the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. They will pay out over $75 million a week this football season. FanDuel does away with the frustration of bad drafts and injured players. You can draft a team anytime and drop into tournaments for weekly cash prizes. Entry fees start at just $1, so there's a league for everyone. Over 1 million players have won money playing fantasy sports on FanDuel, and now it's your turn. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, and use our code PLANET when you sign up now. There's a special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to $200 that gets earned as you play. The offer is only good for the first 50 people that use the code PLANET today, so don't get left out. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L dot com. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks again to Josie Altador for joining us from U.S. National Team Camp. Brian and Grant, that was great. Uh, now I want to spin it forward to Saturday's game. Um, USA Mexico, winner goes to the Confederations Cup. We've been talking about it for months. Uh, Landon Donovan has added some fuel to the fire this week, suggesting that Jurgen Klinsmann perhaps be fired if the USA loses this game. Um, I am curious on on what you think of, of his comments. Are they that off base? I feel like he's just kind of saying what a lot of people are thinking. Grant, what do you, what do you think? Well, I mean, the, the kind of factual point that Donovan made is basically correct, right? That Klinsman is in a comfort zone in his job that he does not ask of his players. Um, he's got a long-term contract. He's going to make a ton of money uh, no matter what. Um, and Donovan is saying that uh, Klinsman isn't being held to the standard other coaches would be in soccer countries around the world. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's basically true, right? Now, to then go and say that's the reason that he should be fired if the U.S. loses to Mexico is a different step. Uh, we all know that if the U.S. loses this game against Mexico, there will be a, quite a few people more than Landon Donovan who call for Klinsman to be removed. Uh, that would be the first time in Klinsman's four-year tenure that that's the case. So uh, that would be the dominant story post-game 
um, if the U.S. loses. Uh, if the U.S. wins, that won't be happening, obviously. So uh, I think people probably should be ready for that discussion if, uh, if the result turns out that way. But uh, Sunil Gulati uh, has come out and said that Klinsman's job is safe, even if the U.S. loses this game. So that's the only guy who really matters. Uh, but I will say this, that uh, as public pressure mounts on Klinsman, uh, that includes pressure on Gulati. So uh, there's a lot riding on this game in the sense of PR, I think, from a Jurgen Klinsman perspective. Brian, there's no way for Landon to say this and not have it come off as, as sour grapes, given everything that's happened and, and all, a lot of the reaction that was uh, geared towards him after he said this kind of uh, echoed that. But but at the same time, right, like this is he's, he's got a point. I don't think he's he's wrong uh, in in his assessment here. Yeah, no, Landon's a bright guy, and Landon's smart enough to to see things as they are, and he should also also be smart enough to realize that he will say something, and what people will read is, I got cut from the World Cup team, and I'm sad, you know, so so he should be smart enough to realize uh, that, that, you know, he's not a full-time pundit, he's not someone who's established his, you know, impartial journalistic credibility, and that what he says is going to, yeah, is going to come off as sour grapes. But as Grant said, that doesn't make him less correct. Um, what I do think is important to to note is that, you know, does Jurgen exist in a comfort zone? Yeah, he does. Um, you know, does Jurgen operate free of some of the scrutiny and constraints that his peers around the world do? Absolutely. But he's also been hired to do a different job. He was hired to do a different job than Bum Bradley was, and he was hired to do a different job than national team coaches at mature you know, in mature soccer countries around the world who where if you coach Germany or Brazil or Argentina or France or a country like that, the country's Klinsman is chasing, your job is to win now. You're not expected to build culture and build infrastructure and and have an influence on long-term development strategies and try to, you know, gather a country of 300 plus million people where soccer has been taken seriously for only 25 years and and establish the foundation of something that's going to result in in elite performance down the road. That's the job Klinsman was hired to do. And so whether he's doing it, whether he's on his way, whether he'll succeed, that's a different issue. There are signs that he may not. But he's not going to be judged based on the performance in a key tournament or a key game like some of his counterparts will. And you're, And Landon's right about that. But that's because he was hired to do a different job. Right, but I think that drives some people a little crazy that he just gets the benefit of of the doubt because his task is is technically a, a little different. I mean, this is a results based uh, world we we live in right now, right? I mean, you you see it all over the world. I mean, Mexico will be on its its third coach when Juan Carlos Osorio takes over um, within what two months, right? It's it just it is how it is. And granted, Herrera wasn't fired for for results, but. You know, you look at the World Cup qualifying cycle last time when they went through four coaches. It just, it's, uh, it's just a completely different universe, and I think that drives people crazy. And again, I'm not defending Klinsman's performance or record. I'm just pointing out that the job he was hired to do can't necessarily be evaluated like the job that other national team coaches have been hired to do. And so Landon is right, but Landon is also perhaps missing the point a little bit that Sunil is not judging Jurgen how the Federation presidents and other big soccer countries might be judging their national team coaches. Demarcus Beasley, who's been around the block with this U.S. men's national team, played in his fair share of USA-Mexico games, says it's the second biggest USA-Mexico game ever after the 2002 World Cup uh, round of 16 game. Um I, I do you agree, Brian? Disagree? Uh, it's baffling. It's a baffling comment, and, and it, <laughs> it shows you what it shows you the power of of hype and social media and and uh, you know dramatic videos uh, on on Facebook and Fox. How that can warp someone's perception. Um, now this this is not even close to the second most important U.S. Mexico game ever. All that's at stake on Saturday is a spot in, in the Confederations Cup. Um, which is a tournament that you know a lot of a lot of big countries around the world don't even care that much about. Better to be there than not be there. Um, but U.S. and Mexico have played uh, three times um, just uh, in the past twenty years, 
with a Gold Cup title and a Confederations Cup berth on the line three times. So not only are you playing for a berth in the Confederations Cup, but you're playing for the championship of CONCACAF. That is not at stake uh, on Saturday as much as the marketers would like you to believe and as much as Jurgen keeps call- talking about lifting a trophy. I don't know if someone like went down to the party store and bought a trophy for this game, <laughs> but there is no championship at stake on Saturday. Uh, Mexico is the CONCACAF champion. It will be until at least 2017. Um, and this game is about a ticket to Russia and nothing more. And the U.S. and Mexico certainly have played games with more at stake than that, um, not only ever, but in the past one or two decades. I'm, I'm really happy that Brian is protecting the sanctity of the Gold Cup here. <laughs> it matters, though, right? I mean, that's, it does. it's it the does. regional championship. That's <laughs> No, it's a continental championship. This is a sort of created game, uh, fairly brilliantly by CONCACAF, actually. And I don't usually use the term brilliant in the same sentence as CONCACAF, but... Uh, look, I mean, they're going to get more than $10 million of revenues uh, for this game alone, uh, which, you know, that's kind of impressive when you think about it. Um, But, uh, you know, I look at it as arguably the biggest U.S.-Mexico game since the 2002 World Cup. And I know that Brian disagrees with me on that. Um, You know, there's World Cup qualifiers between the U.S. and Mexico that have taken place. There's Gold Cup finals that have taken place. Um... But I do think that when you look at this game, uh, it is for something. And, and I do think, I would actually argue the Confederations Cup matters a little more than a lot of people are saying, uh, especially for a non-established country like the U.S. I think the year before the World Cup, it is very helpful to go and be in the country that's going to host the World Cup the next year to get the logistics down, to get that feel, and to play against you know, good competition, the champions of other confederations. Uh, I also think that let's step away for a second from, uh, you know, what it means competitively for the, the next year's World Cup if you compete in the Confederations Cup, because we've seen that it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, Brazil is the three-time defending Confederations Cup champion. They've not won every World Cup the year after. Um you know, the U.S. did fine the 2014 World Cup, or at least did the same as it did in 2010, results-wise, and they weren't in the Confederations Cup in Brazil the year before. But I was in South Africa for the 2009 Confederations Cup when the U.S. beat Spain and got to the final great game against Brazil and nearly won the thing. And Clint Dempsey was crying after that game, and it mattered to him. And in a sense, the importance of something is what we invest in it. Clint Dempsey was completely invested in that game, in winning that trophy. And I think there is something to be said for that. In a growing soccer country like U.S., there is something to be said for that run, beating Spain, getting to the final Confederations Cup, and in the attention it got in the United States on its own. Uh, so I, I like that. And so I, I do think getting to the Confederations Cup in Russia you know, would be a good event in and of itself for the growth of U.S. soccer. I'm not, I'm not saying the Confederation... I, it is important. It is important to be there. And, I, and I, I'm pretty sure I, I, I said that. My point is, is that this U.S.-Mexico game with only the Confederations Cup berth on the line is not more important than the 2007 um, and 2011 Gold Cup final, which also had a Confederations Cup berth on the line, plus the Gold Cup championship, plus the Continental Championship. This game has only the Confederations Cup berth. So, it, it, you don't need Stephen Hawking to do the math on this. I mean, <laughs> so it's a big game. There's going to be 90,000 people there. It's a big test for Jurgen Klinsmann. It's a big, uh, it'll be a big indication of where the U.S. is a year after the World Cup and over four years into Klinsmann's tenure. But we love DeMarcus. We love a good U.S.-Mexico tilt. But this is far from the second biggest U.S.-Mexico game ever. I think it depends on how you look at it, right? Where... In, like, if you look at it purely in soccer terms, I think Brian's probably right. That's why I say arguably the biggest game for the U.S.-Mexico since 02 World Cup. But if you look in terms of big, in terms of how people treat it, the, the meaning that people invest in a game, U.S. soccer and the fandom is a lot bigger now than it was in 07 and even 2011. Uh, there are more people, a lot more, who care about the United States men's national team now. And when you've got this one-off that people have been ramping up to for two months, yes, I agree, there's an element, a huge element of hype here, but, you know, it's a big game. Uh, you know, we 
we, if you look at it in those terms, uh, uh, you, you certainly can understand a little bit of why U.S. soccer is playing this up and using terms like epic to describe it, which is a little overblown. I think hype is a good thing. Uh, USA Mexico games that matter are a, a good thing. We honestly, we haven't even talked about any World Cup qualifier because those aren't one-offs, right? I mean, the USA Mexico games happen and then, you know, they both go on their way and, and both win, you know, whatever points they need to get and they both get to the World uh, to the World Cup. So there's not a whole, it's not as much consequence on the line, I guess you could say. Uh, but I think Michael Bradley put it most, most succinctly. Uh, they lose this game. They start World Cup qualifying in November. They win this game. They start World Cup qualifying in November. It's, you know, life life will go on if the USA does not win this game. Look a little further up the field. Clint Dempsey, uh, his importance in this game. Um, Brian, you touched on it uh, a bunch in one of your pieces on Planet Football. He's the consistent scorer on this team. Um, you know, He's the like, only one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Altidores has done it in spurts. Um, you know, you've had Michael Bradley has come up big against Mexico in the past. Um, but when you look at, at the one guy who you would think you can rely on for goals in big games, uh, Clint Dempsey's the guy, how much does the U S need him in this game? Brian? They need him desperately. And, 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 and I, I sympathize with Klinsman in a way because of the conundrum that this presents. Um, Dempsey likes, you know, he'll say that he likes, uh, you know, he likes being close to the goal. You know, he, he likes to be in position to score goals. That's what he likes to do. Um, and and you want a guy who can finish and, and who does so consistently uh, to be in position to get on the end of things and 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 create and finish chances. Um, the problem is, is that if you push Dempsey a little bit higher, you push Michael Bradley a little bit higher. And as we've seen, when Bradley's a bit too high, the U.S. can get overrun behind him. He's not there uh, lying deeper, uh, breaking things up, tracking guys, winning winning possession, and, and what Bradley does better than any American player has in a long time, which is play that pass to relieve pressure, play that pass that opens up a new part of the field and gives the U.S. a chance uh, to establish a bit of possession and rhythm. That's what Michael does very well. And he also hits a pretty nice long ball. Uh, he, he can free guys up over the top and play guys into space because his vision is so good. So if, if, if Dempsey pushes up, Bradley pushes up, and then you have that hole in the middle that we saw against Brazil where the U.S. just got overrun. If Michael pulls back, then all of a sudden Dempsey is perhaps playing in that withdrawn attacking position, perhaps behind Josie Altidore, and maybe isn't in the penalty area with that chance to put a shot on frame as much as we would like. So that's something that Jurgen's got to figure out. He's got to weigh those options to figure out what works best. Um, if it were me, uh, I think establishing a bit of a hold in midfield is more important. I say you, you you pull Michael Bradley back a little bit, play him behind Dempsey in the second forward, and then you hope Dempsey can create and play make a little bit and also get up, get up high uh, and maybe finish a chance or two. I think what I would like to see is if you know that Michael Bradley and Jermaine Jones and Clint Dempsey are going to start, and we can feel fairly certain of that, then I would like to see Kyle Beckerman come in and play as a one in a four-one-three-two, so that he can stand right, you know, in front of the back line, and there would be someone who is a dedicated holding midfielder there. Because Jermaine Jones, that's not his thing so much. I understand why Klinsman wants Jones to be on the field, but I would rather see Beckerman in front of the back four, and then a three of Bradley in the center, Jones and either Bedoya or Zardes, uh, and then Dempsey and Altidore up top. Yeah, with Dempsey more withdrawn than, than Altidore. So whether that'll happen, I don't know. Uh, it's very hard to predict, Jurgen, but uh, I think that would solve the problem that we see of when Bradley and Jones are on the field, of there often being no one in front of that back line. Uh Granted, is this a game where it's it's Michael Bradley's chance to shine? Given a lot of criticism he took at the World Cup, I know you you talked to him a bunch about this. Um, and given the hype in this game, and and as far as we know, he's going to be wearing the captain's armband, right? I mean, he was anointed captain for the Gold Cup. I don't think we've heard any differently since. Uh, U.S. Soccer actually got him to make his Instagram profile public for this game. That's how much it means to him. Uh, but. <laughs> But uh, but in all seriousness, this is this is his chance to to make his mark on this rivalry. Not that he hasn't before in World Cup qualifiers. He scored in the 2011 Gold Cup final. But 
you know, to lead the U.S. over Mexico in this game that is being hyped as the second biggest USA-Mexico game ever, regardless of whether we agree or not, uh, that's that's on the table now. Yeah, this is huge for Michael Bradley, as it is for, for other players. But, you know, Michael Bradley, I've always said, is a guy you, you know, you'd want in the foxhole next to you. And this isn't a war, but it's uh, a game where you need guys with his commitment, his drive, and I do think he tends to play better when he has two attackers in front of him, which he will in this game, in Dempsey and Altador. And that'll allow Bradley not to uh, go too far, too high up the field, which, which sometimes can happen based on what Klinsman asks of him. And the fact is, Klinsman asks a ridiculous amount from Michael Bradley, too much in my mind. I, I think that um, he's made life difficult for Michael Bradley by trying to have him as a number 10 who's... You know, responsible for so many different things. And so, uh, you know, I've talked to Michael pretty extensively, got a story coming out uh, before the game about him. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a guy who is a, a prototypical captain. He, it makes sense that he's the captain. And while they haven't announced it officially, I fully expect he will be. Brian, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann has never lost to Mexico, player or coach, 10 games. Uh do you see this being Jurgen Dust part 11? <laughs> um, I don't think Jurgen needs Jurgen Dust on Saturday. Uh, I, I think the fact that this game exists at all is a little bit of Jurgen Dust. Uh, <laughs> because as you said, CONCACAF only decided to split the, the, the Confederations Cup ticket only uh, you know, ahead of uh, the, the 2013 and 2015 tournaments. So under the previous format, Mexico would be planning its... Uh, to, you know, trip to Russia, and Jurgen would be planning for St. Vincent. Um, so th- there's a little bit of Jurgen dust, but no, I mean, three zero and three. You know what he did as a player? He was playing for Germany, so that helps a little bit. But three zero and three as a coach against Mexico. That, that that's that's a pretty decent sample size. He's unbeaten in six games uh, against a team that theoretically the U.S. is on par with at at best. Um, so all he's got to do is look to see what he did in those games. All that's all he has to do. It's it, it's quite easy. L- look at the tactics and the lineups that were successful against Mexico. We've written and said this over and over. And he's got a good chance to win on Saturday. No Jurgen Dust required. It's a little bit of a me- different Mexico team, though. Uh, interim manager, they're kind of in flux. They have different players in form. Uh, personally, looking down that roster, Jesus Corona might be the most scariest player on the team, given what he's able to do to opposing defenders and, and how confident he's finishing over uh, with, with Porto right now. Um, but Chicharito's playing well. Got Carlos Vela in the mix, Hector Herrera, a lot of Champions League caliber players. Um, Andres Cordado and, and Rafa Marquez are are in the team now. All of a sudden, after we thought they'd be out injured, um, you know, maybe that limits their effectiveness. Maybe the whole thing was just was just mind games. Um, but Mexico is. Uh, I don't think they have a lot a lot to lose right now. They're getting a new coach. They're going to be starting World Cup qualifying just like the U.S next month and they're playing you know as poor as their gold cup was up until the final they've got the trophy so what i guess what's uh you know what's stopping mexico from entering this game with with you know just the utmost confidence and the ability to take it to the u.s the way that they did in the uh 2011 gold cup final well they've had a lot of upheaval uh since they won the gold cup uh you know two days later their coach miguel herrera who was be- is beloved by a lot of those players, was fired after his altercation in the Philadelphia airport. Uh, you have a coach uh, who's come in on an interim basis, Tuca Ferretti. He had them play pretty well in a friendly last month against Argentina, certainly much better than the U.S. played that night against Brazil. Um, don't know how much you really want to take out of that, but that was pretty close to the lineup that we'll see from Mexico against the U.S., um, Injuries are, are interesting, right? Andres Guardado, we thought, was going to be out. He was the best player at the Gold Cup. Uh, he actually played 70 minutes last weekend for PSV. Uh, so I think that's a huge shot in the arm for Mexico. But they've lost Giovanni Dos Santos to injury. They've lost uh, Gallito Vasquez to injury. And he's actually a pretty important unsung player for them in the midfield. So uh, it's you know right now, Mexico has more injury troubles than the U.S. does heading into this game. And uh, I do think when you look at it, uh, these teams are very familiar with each other. And uh, it may not be the prettiest of games, but I think it's going to to come down to uh, maybe some defensive mistakes or maybe one big mistake, and that could decide the game. 
the start of the game is is going to be uh, nuts. I mean, the the crowd is going to be insane. There's going to be so much adrenaline. Uh, an early goal, I think, would you know you say that about any game. Okay, fine. But uh, you know, when the stakes are high like this, and and everything is so unsettled, if you can be that team to get that early goal um, and kind of take the front foot from the start, I, I think that's that's everything. I do wonder though, what if this thing goes to penalties? Right? I mean, U.S. There's a sample size, you know, of, of what they did against Panama in, in the third place game. And granted, that was a third place game that no one wanted to play in. Um, but uh, you just mentally, would you give the edge to the U.S. in in this instance, Grant? Would you give it to to Mexico? It just it's it's an element that we don't usually see in U.S. and Mexico games. Yeah, pretty impossible to know, to be honest. You know, the last time these two teams went to penalties against each other, I think, was the 95 Copa America quarterfinal, which the U.S. won. So, obviously, none of the same players. Um, certainly would make for great theater. And I and I, I, cert- I hope we get great theater. I think that all the ingredients are there. You're going to have a full stadium. It's going to be probably 60-40 uh, in favor of Mexico fans. Uh, but really something we haven't seen in the Rose Bowl before in terms of the number of U.S. fans in the stadium. Uh, so much hype. Saturday night, uh, national broadcast uh, in Spanish and English. Um, and so because we've had this much hype, we've had two months, three months really, to, to get ready for this. Um, yeah, it feels like a heavyweight prize fight. And, and even if that's a lot of hype, it's a lot of fun. I, 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 have, I have sort of made fun of the hype a little bit, but I, I do remember vividly, and I'm sure Grant does as well, uh, being at the at the 2011 Gold Cup final at the Rose Bowl. And, and the Rose Bowl is a really fascinating stadium for those uh, who haven't been there. Um, it's just got a really interesting, the, the bowl is so sweeping and, and wide, and it sort of, it, it sort of makes, fills your horizon when you're sitting in the press box and it's all sort of opened out in front of you. And, and, and to be there that day and see 90,000 people in green uh, below you, uh, was, um, you know, it was, it was like a less threatening Azteca. I mean, it was just, it was just really imposing. Um, and then, and then while I have argued that there have been more important U.S.-Mexico games, all of those games have been played on really short notice, right? It's a Gold Cup final. It's a, it's a World Cup game. It's something that you had two or three days to get ready for. This we've had a couple months uh, to gear up for, and fans have had time to make plans and 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 organize and 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 jostle and figure out how many people are getting there and when and 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 supporters groups have have made these plans and done all this kind of stuff with the ticket allocation and so I don't know that there's been a U.S. Mexico game where you're going to have something close to a split in the crowd even if it's sixty forty that still means there's you know I don't do the math I need Stephen Hawking again thirty thousand plus <laughs> Americans um, and you're going to have that back and forth you're going to have the fans in blue and red and the fans in green and black and neon and whatever Mexico's wearing these days. And you're going to have that give and take, um, like a real Derby, like, like, like a real, it's, it's just going to be something we haven't seen before. So on that level, uh, I'm excited about it. And I think it's going to perhaps set a new standard for the rivalry in terms of atmosphere. The other point I would make is that for a lot of people, if you step back, people in the United States who are just sports fans who watch during the world cup, they may be only figuring out this week what the difference is between this USA-Mexico game and the USA-Mexico friendly that took place in April. And maybe sometimes we forget that there's that going on as well, that, you know, the sort of newcomer fan, uh, which is actually really important to U.S. soccer. It's why they announced the lineup or the roster for the U.S. on Fox's college football Saturday show. Um, So, you know, when you have so much hype around a game like this, um, there's that element too of that, you know, you're trying to grow the fan base and that's why this game is pretty big uh, for U.S. soccer. You know what I find uh, interesting about this game? Um, and it's not something a lot of people are really talking about. Obviously, earlier in the day, the USA U23s will be playing Honduras for a ticket to the Olympics. The senior team is, is kind of playing for a lot of the U23s. There are players on the U23 team that are going to be affected by this by this game. I mean, they're the ones who are going to be in the program in 2017, right? I mean, at least a handful of them, Jordan Morris, Gideon Zalalem, uh, Trump Gasswater looks, looks incredible right now. Uh, and, you know, they have a lot of stake in this game. Jurgen Klinsmann has come out and said that, you know, for a lot of the guys in, in the 30s, this might be their last go-around. There's a new World Cup cycle starting. Um 
you know, he's he's a, a manager who believes in youth and, and giving younger players chances. Uh, so while the U.S., you know, has this 23-man team out there playing for themselves and playing to win this game, the reality of the situation is that, you know, half of them might not even be in the program anymore when it comes to 2017. So, you know, there there's a lot of pride at stake. Um, but, you know, I'd be curious what the Confederations Cup means to a lot of the players who might not even be there in 2017. It's a great point and, and well said. And, and I, I, I mentioned uh, this statistic in one of my preview pieces, and I'll, I'll mention it again now. You're right. Jurgen Klinsmann loves, loves youth and speed and daring and enthusiasm and all those sorts of things uh, that younger guys bring. Um, there were more players in their 30s on Klinsmann's U.S. World Cup team last year than there were on Germany's 2014 champions and Spain's 2010 champions put together. And there are more players in their 30s on this team than there were on the World Cup team last summer. So this is a team that is on the threshold of a significant transition. And then you have guys like Bradley, Fabian Johnson, Alejandro Bedoya, who are going to be at least 30 uh, by the time the 2018 World Cup rolls around. So you're exactly right, Avi. Uh, these guys are, are playing to lay the path uh, for the generation coming behind them. And, and that's, that's fascinating, and it adds, a, it adds a, definitely a, a, an intriguing wrinkle to Saturday. Well... It is going to be one heck of a game. I uh, can't wait to read both of your pieces uh, from that game. You can obviously find all of those on Planet Football. If you want to share with us your thoughts about the game, who you think is going to win, what who you think should start, anything really about this rivalry and about this game, definitely feel free to tweet at us at SI underscore soccer or just leave us a comment on our Planet Football page or our SoundCloud page. All right, well, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Planet Football Podcast. We will definitely be back next week to recap everything that went down between USA and Mexico. I want to thank Grant Wall and Brian Strauss for joining us from California. Alex Abnos, our star producer. Thank you, as always. I am Avi Creditor. We will talk to you guys next week. about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.